Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Bill, this mother hears through walls, fires 4,000 rounds a minute, and peeks down dresses at 1,000 feet. Jesus Christ. That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing with spoilers aplenty the 1983 action crime drama Blue Thunder, starring Roy Scheider, Daniel Stern, and Candy Clark. Directed by John Badham, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 49 minutes. This movie received one Oscar nomination for Best Film Editing. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. Roy Scheider stars in this intense action thriller as a courageous police officer pilot battling government fanatics planning to misuse an experimental attack helicopter. Chosen to test Blue Thunder, Frank Murphy, Roy Scheider, is amazed by the capabilities of the high-speed, high-tech chopper. It can see through walls, record a whisper, or level a city block. Distrusting the military mentality behind Blue Thunder, Murphy and his partner, Lyman Good, Daniel Stern, learn the remarkable craft is slated for use as the ultimate weapon in surveillance and crowd control. Jeopardized after being discovered by sinister Colonel Cochran, Malcolm McDowell, Murphy flies Blue Thunder against military aircraft in a spellbinding contest over Los Angeles. Blue Thunder. Oh, Bill. Oh, yeah. Oh, I uh, forgot to tell you. I, I found out what Jaffa is. It's just another fucking observer. Huh? There you go. So that was what's in the box. Let's move on to earliest memories. What are our earliest memories of Blue Thunder? Hey, man, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure I did not see this in the theater. But I always looked forward to it on cable, HBO for sure. I feel as though because my dad was a pilot, an airplane pilot, an airline pilot, a C-130 pilot in Vietnam, you know, I was a fan of all things flying. So both jets and helicopters. My uncle was a helicopter pilot. Helicopters hold a certain fascination for me. I don't know how the hell they work but they're cool. And I remembered just that the action was great in this. That's what I remembered. I actually did remember, and one of my earliest memories was that it felt like there weren't that many action sequences, but the ones that were, were pretty great. And that pretty much holds to this day for me. Uh, I remember that, you know, Firefox, the Clint Eastwood vehicle had come out in 82. And then Airwolf, the series comes out in 84 after this. Those are memories around this time when you get these movies and television series. Uh, and then there was the Blue Thunder television series as well regarding flying aircraft. Now, of course, ooh, the earliest memory, first and foremost, the star of this film is Blue Thunder. It's the helicopter. It's the stealth mode, a.k.a. whisper mode. I mean, going quiet to either spy or record the bad guys. Heck yeah, man. Uh, the weaponry, of course, all the gadgetry on this particular chopper. Then, of course, you know, the aircraft 
chase sequence over and through the city of Los Angeles, which is, you know, the big finale of this film, always a memory that sticks with me. Part of that sequence is, of course, the iconic 360 degree loop in order to get the kill shot. Hey, man, I always remember Roy Scheider, of course, uh, playing our protagonist, Frank Murphy. And I knew of him from Jaws, but that was about it at the time, because what this is 83. So I'm nine, 10 years old. To be honest, though, I'm not sure how much of Jaws I'd actually seen at this point. I think I tried to watch it at a sleepover at one point, but it was one of those one eye open kind of watches because I was a scaredy cat. But I was familiar with Roy Scheider, but only from Jaws. Another early memory would be a young Daniel Stern just getting tied up, taped up, running out into the middle of the street, getting run over. Absolutely brutal, man. That's a brutal early memory for me from this movie. Oh, yeah. It's Daniel Stern getting run over. That's hardcore. It's, a, it's pretty harsh. And that stuck with me. So speaking of which, the overall feel is just an early memory. When I imagine this movie in my head before I even rewatched it, I just have these images flashing before my eyes of a grainy, gritty feel. I, I don't know if it's the John Badham touch, the John Badham be the director, but it just has that 80s grit to it, kind of a street level thing, which is just kind of funny because most of this takes place in the air or at least a good chunk of it, but it has that feel. So that's just an early... Uh, like a kind of a, a sensory recall I have of this film. What are your earliest memories, Bill Bant? Yeah, so I was trying to figure out what did I see first, the TV show or the movie? And I definitely saw the movie on HBO, and I knew the title, and I kind of remember the advertising, Blue Thunder, and the TV show didn't last very long, was up against Airwolf and got its ass kicked, so I was kind right, of a, right. a bummer because I actually did like it, and preferred i don't think i ever watched air I, maybe i saw one episode of airwolf but I see i was the exact opposite i don't recall seeing blue thunder at all the series oh i do i watched i watched a bit of airwolf little jan michael vincent right but i actually remember it more for uh bubba smith and dick buckus than the two guys playing the pilots and one of them was dana carvey which is kind of crazy pre-snl but yeah, from Blue Thunder, the movie itself, the only thing I could really remember besides the helicopter was Daniel Stern getting killed. Because I probably have not seen this since the 80s. Wow. Yeah. I forgot the whole thing that he got kidnapped, tied up and tried to escape and got run over like that. That was I was like, whoa, what's going on? I don't remember any of this whatsoever. Uh, but like you, I remember the loop. I kind of forgot Malcolm McDowell was in this. I totally forgot. I forgot villain. he was the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that what was, well, I mean, once I saw the credits, yeah, I, I remembered, but that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah. I definitely remember the loop. I definitely remember the cool things that the chopper could do, but yeah, there was so much. I did not, this is almost like watching it for the first time and just kind of knowing, like someone telling me what the movie is about. And then I'm watching it because there was so much I was missing. I mean, I don't remember anything with Candy Clark in it. No, I didn't either. That all escaped me. I just remember helicopter, Daniel Stern getting killed, and that was it. And everything else, I was almost like watching it for the first time. That's great. I'm pretty much there with you. There were a, I remembered a few more details. I knew that there was like kind of like this government type cover up. There were these uh, like a black ops kind of thing uh, happening, but I forgot how it unfolded. 
Yeah, I couldn't even remember why there was the aerial dogfight at the end of the movie. I just knew it was happening, but I didn't right. know what the reason the behind it was. Yeah. So we have any initial thoughts about Blue Thunder we want to share with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was kind of thinking about where are they at? Meaning some of our cast and filmmaker and the director, I should say, starting with Roy Scheider, of course. Yeah, man, he was nominated for an Oscar way back when in The French Connection. Of course, Jaws. Then he did. He was in Marathon Man. Then Jaws Two. All that jazz. Still the night. Those are the films that he had done leading up to this. And afterward, I only knew him then from 2010, 2010, the year we made contact. And then the short-lived series Sequest DSV. Yes, I did watch that one. And that was about it. So it's it's kind of interesting because I've heard a you know a few other pods discussing Roy Scheider's career, and I'm a fan. To be honest, I think, you know, one of my initial thoughts watching this is why I actually really enjoy him as a leading man is he has this quiet confidence. He's can be seems calm and cool under pressure for the most part. Now, of course, in Jaws, he has plenty of moments where he loses it a bit, but he still is in command. It feels like for the most part, Uh, he just has a certain presence about him. I don't know if at some point he got course corrected or what happened, but he had a really solid career before this leading up to this and then had worked, you know, steadily, but just nothing that I knew him from, or that, that was really prominent for me personally, that's just in my existence or my relationship to Roy Scheider. Anyway, we get a uh, young, fresh faced Daniel Stern and as Richard Lyman good, who is the observer in this film Meaning it's basically kind of like he's Murphy's co-pilot, uh, Roy Scheider's co-pilot, but he is new. That's why he gets that moniker uh, Jaffo, meaning just another fucking observer, uh, which is just a little nickname they give to the, the newbies, right? Uh, so young Daniel Stern, and I only knew him really from the Home Alone movies, the City Slickers movies, and then, of course, the narrator of the Wonder Years. Some might point out like Rookie of the Year or Celtic Pride, possibly, his other like Daniel Stern vehicles where he played a leading role. But uh, anyway, I actually enjoy him a lot. I think he's extremely likable. He's a great sidekick. He's just fun. I think he has a kind of a natural delivery and man. Yeah. It's just, again, man, when he gets killed in this, it's, it sucks. It just sucks. He's very extremely likable. They did him dirty. And this is just basically what I'm saying. Yes, they did. Yeah. And again, we get Malcolm McDowell. What the hell, man? He's great. As a bad guy, first of all, I only knew him from a clockwork orange. And that's it, man. I have really in Star Trek generations. He's such a well-renowned actor and well-respected and still working today and has done so much. And I know him from a total of three movies. It's ridiculous. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if we talked about John Batman. Well, I know we did because we did War Games. Correct. Did we get into the fact that he had such a great run from 77 all the way through like 95, 96, and then just went to TV. And I still, I looked him up on Wikipedia. I, I do. I haven't done a deep dive on John Batham. I don't know. Hey, no, he did television before going to feature films and then made a return to TV, but he had a serious run and then just went back just went to TV. We might've talked about it a little bit. Okay. But I mean, he went from, 
Saturday Night Fever. He did a version of Dracula. Whose Life Is It Anyway? With Richard Dreyfus. Blue Thunder, War Games, American Flyers, Short Circuit, Stakeout, Bird on a Wire, The Hard Way, Point of No Return, Another Stakeout, Drop Zone, Nick of Time. Those are all big that's pretty, titles. Yeah, that's that a good I resume. Re- you know. yeah. They're not all. Right. They weren't all hits, but still. He's getting steady work. Yeah, they're not all gems, but anyway, did you know that John Badham's sister, Mary Badham, was nominated for an Oscar for her role as Scout Finch in the film To Kill a Mockingbird? No. There you go. Learn something in my own podcast. Love it. Right. <laughs> hey, I as an initial thought, man, uh, I'm sure you were going to bring it up if I didn't. Uh, we'll talk about it a, a bit throughout this podcast. We got to give a shout out to our guy, Warren Oates. He's Captain Braddock in this film, kind of leading the air support division. So he's the boss. And we talked about him a bit from our pod on Stripes. And this film is dedicated to him. He had passed away shortly after this film was released. Uh, War Notes, great character actor, great presence, very recognizable. How about a shout out to Casio Watches? Oh, yeah. Casio making a, a real appearance here, real strong appearance in this film. I just remember, I, I mean, I grew up, I don't know about you. I always, I had a Casio digital watch for probably a few different versions of one growing up in the eighties. That was what you had, or at least I had, I had the bargain basement, you know, digital watches and Casio had all those. Hey, circus liquor. Got to give a shout out. You know, we get some great LA landmarks in this or shout outs to it within the film. A lot of LA references. I've been to circus liquor. I remember it was a buddy of mine and we, I think we needed to get a keg or something. If that would what he had mentioned it, we went there to get a keg and it was actually for a fundraiser for a play that I was doing. So I remember going there right on the corner of uh, what is it? Burbank and Vineland North Hollywood. Yeah. So I just initial thought, man, is that there's a, this is kind of a niche film in a way. It's something you wouldn't think about what I like about this movie. It was like, Again, we're talking about the air support division or astro division of the LAPD. It's just something, oh, yeah, we hadn't thought about the choppers that are flying over. Let's make a movie about that. It's kind of cool. Yeah, we'll get into it. We certainly it, hear them all the time. Yeah, right. But like, can we make a story out of that? And they did. Yeah. And we might um, we'll get into a little bit of the trivia regarding the writing and the, the kind of the inception here of the, the story. I didn't know police helicopter pilots carried guns. I looked it up. They do. Hmm. They're, they're cops. Yeah. They're cops that happen to be pilots. Yeah. I'm like, what do you call that these guys? Sense. What are they? Call, you know, do we call them air cops? Oh, I don't know. Helic- helicops? Helicops. You are a helicop, man. <laughs> You're a helicop, helicop. Here's an initial thought for you, man. I appreciated the pacing of this, actually, in this rewatch. Uh, it went by surprisingly fast. I, for me, that's my opinion. We have in the beginning of the movie, the head of the task force on urban violence. She is attacked and killed. The assailants are shot by the police. And then there's, we get the Blue Thunder introduction. Blue Thunder isn't introduced until almost exactly, almost exactly the 30 minute mark. Then we kind of get a sort of action sequence with Colonel Cochran, Malcolm McDowell, flying side by side with Murphy and Lemonggood. And then Cochran has sabotaged Murphy's chopper engine. But we're at the 48-minute mark, and yet nothing really huge has occurred, but I'm still engaged. I don't know. I dig it. I was still into it. And then the last, like, 20, 25 minutes, just one big action sequence. So the, it, the pace, I'm just pointing out, initial thought was the pacing was kind of interesting for me on this rewatch. Hey, man, anytime I hear the words night vision, infrared, whisper mode, and six 20-millimeter cannons, I'm all in. 
lots of 80s references, Laverne and Shirley, HBO, the 84 Olympics. Uh, I love there's one reference <laughs> when they go into whisper mode, you hear Roy Scheider say, he goes, ooh, Forest Lawn, which is another L.A. reference. Yeah. Forest Lawn Cemetery. Like it's as quiet as a cemetery. It's like, wow. OK. Hey, man, here's a question for you. This was an initial thought. Uh huh. What is the miniature device that Murphy uses on the payphone in order to retrieve messages off his answering machine? Yeah, it was almost like his beeper. Yeah, I want one of those. Even though it's a dead technology now, it just seemed kind of cool because he holds it up to the payphone receiver and you hear the beep, 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 and it activates his answering machine at the end of the other line. Of the line. Right? That, am I right? That's how what he does, right? And then he almost kind of uses that in war games when uh, Matthew Broderick escapes out of that room because <laughs> the sounds, the beep, 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 beep. So you're saying it's a John Badham thing. I think it is. I think yeah. it is. I'm seeing a pattern. I'm seeing a pattern. Yeah, it must have uh, used it to call his, his answer machine or call his phone and sets off his answer machine. Yeah, right. Like it's a little techno gadget. I just thought that was cool. By the way, here's a little info for our listeners. Because again, I was a little fascinated with doing a little research on, yeah, what is the air support division? Who are these guys, these cops that fly helicopters? So, yeah, a little background for our listeners. ASTRO is an acronym for Air Support to Regular Operations. And the Air Support Division is the Police Aviation Division of the Los Angeles Police Department. It is the largest municipal airborne law enforcement organization in the United States and operates from the LAPD Hooper Heliport. Just a little, little info for the listeners. That was from Wikipedia. I was going to say a little bit more about that, but I'm not going to bore our listeners. How do I feel about this movie today? Bill Bant, pretty good. Pretty good. Not necessarily great. I enjoyed it. That's just kind of my take. You know, we do the then and now, right? We do our earliest memories. We do our initial thoughts. My view on it now is it was still rock and roll in moments. And it just kind of went by. It doesn't get too deep. When I say went by, it just kind of cruised by, it flew by, pun intended, not too complicated, and some some decent action. That's all I'm going to say at this point. What are your initial thoughts? Okay, so my initial thought after I finished watching it, like I said, I haven't watched this probably since the 80s, was where did I miss the plot points? I felt like I was missing something. Mm -hmm. I felt like something wasn't spelled out because... It starts off that you find totally out that Murphy and Lyman Good are helicopter pilots for the police force. And they fly around and spot crime or spot violations. And then they're called in for this top secret government. I don't even know what you want to call it. It's not a mission per se, a project. And they're going to fly what they call the Blue Thunder. Right. And Murphy runs into an old war we won't say buddy because they were kind of enemies, Cochran. Right. And then next thing you know, they want to kill Murphy. And I couldn't figure out, wait, what what did I miss? What's what is what is the cover-up? Right, right. So you have to read a little deeper. Uh, you have to read between the lines a little bit, is what I had to do at least. There at some point, I'll be honest with you, I believe I had paused it, uh, probably take some notes. Or to get some pretzels. I'd like to snack a little bit while I do this. I was like, I what I do is I talk out loud to myself 
I'm like, okay. okay, so what the hell's going on here? How did this happen? Meaning like wh- what's going on in the movie? And you're not wrong to think that because obviously I had to do the same thing. And the idea is that we have politicians, we have the head of the task force working for them. She's working in the mayor's office, right? She's the head of the task force on urban violence. This is what she's campaigning for, uh, especially I believe they're kind of cracking down about uh, on violence in the, the barrios. So that's her thing. And we, we see her being accosted and by these assailants who are trying to steal her briefcase. And there's a shootout with police. They die and she ends up getting killed. And then we understand that those assailants actually were hired by this subversive group that is made up of either these higher up, either government officials gone bad. We don't really know who they are. They don't really have faces or titles. We just know they're bad men in positions of power. And the idea, I what I got out of it, you just from watching it, and granted, now I have the benefit of doing the research and reading the Wikipedia breakdown and IMDb breakdown, but I did get most of it, I think, out of just watching it, was that we know that Murphy, Frank Murphy, is kind of a hotshot pilot, a veteran air support division pilot, and then is told, we need you to come to this weapons evaluation for this kind of top secret new helicopter that's been developed. It's a prototype. It's the new one. It's the this badass helicopter nicknamed the Blue Thunder. And it's got all this huge disarmament. And it's going to be used for like crowd disbursement or to keep an eye on large crowds from the air to prevent a violent breakout because the... Olympics are about to arrive in 84 in LA. So that's the cover story that they're telling him. And the mayor wants one of LA's locals to be the one flying the blue thunder, even though the current pilot happens to be our nemesis, our our antagonist, Malcolm Adal, the Colonel whom also was in Vietnam with Frank Murphy but they're going to groom Frank Murphy to be the pilot to represent L.A., basically, and fly this fancy-ass new chopper called the Blue Thunder with this huge minigun, basically, on the front of it. And then, to get to the point, I guess, is that what happens is when he takes the Blue Thunder up with his partner, Lyman Good, and they're testing out the functionality... And they go into whisper mode and because they have actually at this point followed the uh, antagonist, Colonel Cochran, who's going to this clandestine meeting with these no-name corporate power mongers or whatever. That's where the, the plot is supposedly uncovered. But you're right. It's a bit convoluted. They don't really lay it out for the audience. They kind of give you bits and pieces and you get the ideas that they're killing politicians, a.k.a. McNeely in the beginning, in order to promote violence, they want the barrios to erupt. They want violence to erupt in order for them to advance their own agenda with the weapon being the Blue Thunder. They want to advance that. They want the Blue Thunder to go into probably mass production. And that's their thing. They want violence. And any of the politicians that are against violence are trying to uh, go against, you know, or try to, to promote the, the project, the task force against urban violence, et cetera, will be standing in their way. They're taking out the politicians and 
then obviously it's revealed that Frank Murphy's going to get in their way, according to Cochran, and they've got to take him out as well. I know, but it almost feels like they want to take him out before he even knows anything, which I thought was weird. I agree with you. Why take him out other than the fact that he appears to be a loose cannon? Like Cochran says, yeah, I don't like him. He's going to be a problem. That's all he says. Yeah. I totally agree with you. It doesn't totally add up. No. Or there are missing pieces. Yeah, because the things that threw me off were when McNeely gets attacked and the police show up and the guys are running off with a briefcase and they start shooting at them. And she's like, don't shoot them. Let them take the briefcase. Does she know that's supposed to get stolen? Like you were supposed to find out later on that she was in I on it. I see what you're saying, but my take was that she's just anti-violence. She was just saying it's not worth uh, it. Okay. I buy that one. But if you want to go, if you want to really try to read deeper into it, I see where you were going with that. Like as if there was a deeper like conspiracy she was also a part of. Yeah. And then you hear throughout the movie news broadcasts about all this violence and uprising in the urban areas. So Oh, okay. So they're going to use the blue thunder to kind of clean up the mess, but it doesn't spell it out that way. So then I was confused again. I was, I don't know. I just couldn't really figure out the plot when it was over. And I just felt like, am I just stupid? And I, I even Not watched it all. again and I was still like, no, this still isn't clearing things up. Even after I kind of looked a little bit about what it was and what I was missing. No, there's really not a coherent plot in this movie. I don't think so. It's just a lot simpler but they make it appear more complicated because they're leaving out details. Yes. And they're just hoping you'll get the gist of it, which is actually quite simple, which is the fact that there's just a subversive group that is wanting to actually promote violence in order for them to promote this weapon to combat that violence. It almost reminded me as a kid growing up and watching James Bond movies where it was... I just want to hear the James Bond theme song. I just want to see the cool locations. I just want to see the stunts. And then when I got older, I'm like, oh, now I get what the story is now. Okay, this is why James Bond's on this mission and why he's going to all those places. I was just more worried about the visuals and and that stuff. And with this, it was the movie works because of the performances and just the cool helicopter stuff. Right. But the plot, I don't get it. It's unnecessarily convoluted. And I totally agree with you. I think the biggest problem is the fact that they don't have a reason to take out Frank Murphy. And simply we hear Cochran say, oh, he's going to be a problem and I'll take care of him. And they mean they go, oh, you mean you're going to take him out? And he says basically, yes. But they didn't even need to do that. No. Because Frank Murphy then with Lyman Good, they spy on that meeting. The Chopper is in whisper mode right outside of the skyscraper, right outside of the office building. They get the conversation on tape. And then Cochran looks through the curtains and sees the chopper out there. Then could be like, oh, shit. They heard everything. Now we have to, we have a reason to kill him. We got to take him out. He knows too much. Yeah. But they actually said, we got to kill him before that happened. And they're like, why? (laughs) So you're right, man. The plot is, uh, it's a little weak. Or not fully fleshed out, you know? Right. Uh, My other initial thought was just seeing, like, and you kind of touched on this too, uh, seeing Daniel Stern so young. Yeah. I just couldn't believe that. I'm I'm with you too. I I think of him as Home Alone and everything after that, even though he's 
Like I had to go back and look at pictures of him in diner just to make sure he did look that young. Yeah. For me, it's almost the cutoff point for him is home alone, even though he's done so much before and so much after. Right. Yeah. And I had the same issue with Malcolm McDowell because I love Clockwork Orange. It's it's oh definitely up there. It's an all-timer. Movies. And then it seemed like he disappeared until Star Trek Generations. And then <laughs> exactly, you can right? Okay. I'm glad you agreed. I swear to God, I thought you were going to be like, oh no, I because you're you're just you've got a, a lot of film knowledge, you've seen a lot of movies. And I was assuming that you would be like, oh, he was great in this film. I saw this and I'd be like, yeah, I never saw any of those movies. But you're right there with me. But yeah, seeing middle age, like I had to go back and I was like, oh, yeah, he was in Cat People. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. But just seeing like middle aged Malcolm McDowell, that was just weird the whole time watching him. Like, I'm not used to seeing him like this. I'm either used to seeing him as his character in Clockwork Orange or with gray hair. And I mean, he's done so much after generations, but most of the stuff that because I was looking through his filmography is like, oh, yeah, most of the stuff he did was not really he did time after time, which I'd never seen either, which was around that same period. Yeah. A lot of the stuff wasn't stuff that was really for us, per se. No. So it was just kind of weird to see him. Yeah. Just to see the two of them at that age, Mount McDowell and Daniels at that age was kind of like, oh, it was just blowing my mind, to be honest. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, going back to uh, Roy Scheider, because I've recently gone back and watched some of his movies that I've missed. And yeah, two, you got to catch uh, 52 Pickup and Sorcerer. If you haven't seen those, put them on your list. Watch them. Sorcerer, I definitely need to see. I know that. Yeah. And then my other initial thought was, so the the scene at the drive-in when Kate has to go pick up the uh, tapes, you know what that reminded me of? What's that? When we shot our Miami Vice episode in college, like I said, like we've mentioned tons and tons of times, Jason and I love Miami Vice. That's right. Love, love Miami Vice. So in college, we had, we got a hold of a video recorder. And remember, this is the early 90s when we would make Miami Vice videos. And one of them that we did, because at the UM campus, they have this Olympic sized pool with a 10 meter diving board on it. Right. Yeah. And one of the things at UM, what you would love to do is you would break into the pool in the middle of the night and jump off the 10 meter platform and then run off before the security would show up. So we wanted to film an episode of Miami Vice where the big stunt at the end was people jumping off the 10 meter board. And for some reason, all the drugs in this episode were on the top of the 10 meter board. It, it almost Amazing. reminded me of this. And Blue Thunder was like, hey, we got this really cool movie theater, abandoned movie theater. How can we use it in our movie? Yeah, great location for an action sequence, right? Yeah. Why don't we just put the evidence in a dumpster in the middle of the location? I, it just made me laugh when I was watching. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the drugs on the 10 meter board. It's the videotape in the dumpster. It just reminded me of the same thing. That is a great reference. That's hilarious. I agree. It was just because it was a cool place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, UM. Yep. I'm one of those students that jumped off the 10 meter board back in college. Oh, those were the days. Yes, they were. I'll never forget because there was, what was the security system was basically a laser. Yes. Motion sensors. Right. And I remember, you know, we'd always break it. So the, either the campus police or somebody we called in they, and at some point there was a female officer security that had, what was it? She yelled at me. Cause I was one of the last out of the pool and I climb over the fence and I'm in my bathing suit or shorts and I'm just sopping wet, running back to Eaton and I'm hauling ass. And she's like, <laughs> yeah, you better run. 
but she couldn't get to me because she's on the opposite side of the pool. Yeah. So all she could do is yell at me and I'm just hauling ass. And I remember getting back to eat and I'm sopping wet, showing my, my card and just running through <laughs> like those person at the front desk didn't give a crap. And I just ran through and into my room and like shut off all the lights. Yeah. It was so easy to get away because there was only really one road that could get to the pool. So you just ran in the opposite direction where the cops yeah. were going to come. Yeah. We always got away with it. Yeah. Good times. All right, so let's move on to favorite scenes or moments. What are some of our favorite scenes and moments from Blue Thunder? Well, you know, here's a favorite moment of mine. I just enjoyed this. It's kind of a brief moment, and I'll try not to make the lead up too long. But we understand that Frank Murphy, played by Roy Scheider, is this veteran pilot. And uh, he goes on basically like a the first training mission with uh, Lyman Good, played by Daniel Stern. And it's a little get to know you session. We get a feel for kind of what the air support division does. And there's some fun here because, well, first, there's a little bit of action. They get a couple calls that from, you know, 911 basically saying uh, there's an armed robbery. There's a hostage taken at the circus liquor. And so they have to fly over there and they got to shine the spotlight down. And the cops on the ground pull up in their squad cars and apprehend the bad guys. But of course, when you've got the air support with the big spotlight on them, it makes it a lot easier for the guys on the ground. So there's a little action that happens and you see Murphy kind of giving instruction to Lyman Good so he can do the proper actions and call out the right things and point the light in the right place and hit the right buttons and call the cops and make the announcements, et cetera. In the midst of this, Lyman Good's like, hey, uh, you know, it's uh, it's about 10.30 p.m., you know, uh, Encino's kind of close by. And uh, they do a little flyby, particular home in the hills that uh, has these glass windows are very easy to see inside. And we get wind of the fact that this is a kind of a, a tradition uh, uh, amongst the pilots or a ritual that they do because they know that there's a female celebrity in this house that uh, is a very attractive young lady and she happens to like to do her yoga in the nude. I guess the character's name, funny enough, is Nudie Lucy, I believe. <laughs> That's yes. what she's credited as. They're flying right outside of her window as she is full on, full frontal, everything nude, doing the yoga, very attractive woman. And they're gawking at her. And then another neighbor obviously hears the chopper and is nonplussed. And so when they return back to base and they get back to division, uh, Captain Braddock is going to uh, chew out Murphy a bit because they get a complaint. And we learn that uh, there's a little character background here. We learn about Murphy, that he's basically on thin ice because of an incident that had happened a month previous. We understand also that he's suffering from PTSD. I don't know if we know this at that point in the movie, but we, we pick up on it. But uh Basically, the captain says this quote, which I love. Uh, he says, I'm going to tell you a real little bit of a, a story here. Oh, he actually, before that, says you're grounded for a couple of weeks. That's the punishment. You and Lyman Good are grounded. And uh, let me tell you a moral. I love morals. And he says, uh, if you're walking on eggs, don't hop. Nice delivery from War Notes as oh, Captain yes. Braddock. Great. And then this is the moment I actually really like. I love when Braddock says that. If you're walking on eggs, don't hop. But then it cuts to Murphy walking out of the office. Of course, all the other cops were kind of listening in. And he walks out and just yells, don't hop. 
<laughs> really <Yeah>. loud <laughs> and it startles everybody. Don't hop. I just like that moment. It's one of my favorite moments from the beginning. Yeah, I had that down as uh, one of my favorite moments too, was the first time Murphy and um, Lyman could go up more because, like I said, both of us live out here in the LA area and we always see the helicopters all the time. And I think for me, it was, I always just feel helicopters are either up because there's traffic and they're just trying to watch that. Or of course there's a chase and they're trying to figure out where it was. So I think seeing this and seeing all that they kind of do throughout the night was it just interesting to me? Because I never, I never thought of that. I was like, oh, okay, they're on patrol the whole time and they're spotting all this stuff or checking this stuff out. I'm always like, oh, they're just going up and down the highways waiting for a chase to happen. And then they just go follow the chase and point out wherever uh, bad guys get out of the car and where they're running to. So I, I certainly found that interesting. And just the dynamic between Murphy and um, Lyman Good was cool too. And, and this was funny because when I was watching the movie, I actually had the closed captioning on because you know, I got tinnitus. So I can't always hear what's going on. And then when I turn too loud and then my wife starts yelling at me and she's turn it down. It's too loud. I'm like, oh, okay. Also to your credit though, I, it was a little difficult to hear some of the dialogue. I was listening to it and I, my hearing's just fine. I just, it's hard sometimes it's the transfer, whatever the video, it's not great or the yeah. sound isn't always top quality. So. And then when Daniel Stern introduces himself as Lyman Good, I almost had a pause because I was like, oh, is that really his name? Right. And I had to stop and look at him on DB. I'm like, what a strange name to put in a movie. It's a really weird character name. Yeah, because you just have Jack Braddock, Frank Murphy, Kate, and then Lyman Good. Why not just Lyman? Yeah. Like another great director we know, uh, Doug Mm -hmm. Lyman. You know, go just why Lyman Good. It just made me chuckle. I'm like, okay, you know, it is what it is. That was the one thing I like. I like the dynamic between the two of them. And um, yeah, I'll just get into my next, I would say moments was I loved War Notes as Jack Braddock. Yeah, absolutely. He's had so many great goddamn lines. The fact he was always had the shades regardless. <laughs> right. And I couldn't believe, because I kept going, wait, this is the same guy that was in Stripes. I know. Yeah. He looks so different just with like a mustache and his hair dyed, I'm guessing. And the glasses. I couldn't believe it. I I couldn't believe these movies came out within like two years of each other. He totally. Yeah. He completely looks different. Obviously, he's what the army sergeant in stripes and he's got a hat on a lot of the times, but Sergeant Hulk. Right. And versus this where he's got a full head of hair and a mustache and glasses. (laughs) Yeah. He just. Yeah. He totally looks different. And, you know, just your stereotypical captain who's always screaming and chewing people out. But, I mean, some of the lines like this, you're supposed to be stupid, son. Don't abuse the privilege. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. The walking on eggs don't hop. We'll get your ass down here. We just came up with a hot mince pie under each arm. What the fuck is that? (laughs) I don't. I I loved it. I was like, I don't know what he just said, but it sounded great. Uh, When talking about nude uh, Lucy. You think I don't know about that silly twit up in Sino? For Christ's <laughs> sakes, I had 20 years in this outfit. When your idea of a good time was sitting in front of the TV tube watching Bugs Bunny and gnawing on your fudgicle. The fudgicle. I love that. And I'm glad you brought up that line because when he says twit, you can tell that's ADR. I don't. I wonder if he said twat instead and they changed it. Or Yeah, if he they said, definitely said he said a different word. And they 
Oh, okay. Dubbed it. Did you see that? I didn't see that in the research. I missed yeah, it. But, uh, but you I've can, seen you can different words that they said. And one of them I heard was the C word. So I'm not sure which oh, one okay. is correct. Gotcha. And then um, another one he says is, you know what they'll do with this? They'll burn you. Me, your idiotic friend here, and my whole damn division. And I don't want my division burnt. <laughs> Warren Oates, just amazing as Captain Jack Braddock in the film. Just anytime he was on screen. It's just so cool. Just so cool. I cannot believe that guy passed away at 52 or 53. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Too soon. Yes. I'm like, shit. I'm right around the corner from that. That scares me. No kidding. Facing some mortality issues here. Great call. Gotta give Warren Oates a lot of credit. I'm glad you said all those lines. My next favorite moment has to be the very, very, very first introduction, very first shot of the titular Blue Thunder. It's a money shot, man, because we know this is uh, the weapons evaluation facility in Pinkville. So it's out in the desert and they have this whole like fake town set up with all these cardboard people and uh, old used cars that are about to get blown up. But we know Blue Thunder's coming. And the first shot is that sunrise and it's like this golden red sun. And then you just get Blue Thunder rising up right in front of the sun, approaching the camera. And it's just a silhouette of this gunship coming right at you. And that's it, man. Love that shot. I laugh when I saw I'm like, does every movie do this? I just yeah. felt like I've when I saw that, I'm like, I think I've seen this a hundred times. It's just the classic. The sun's coming up. And we got a silhouette of whatever our vehicle is. Oh, and yeah, it's got to be, you know, like Apocalypse Now. Name the movie like a, any war movie probably yeah. uh, has a shot that's similar or adjacent like to that. Uh, but yeah, especially in this when it's it just. But there was something about this one. Yeah, there was something about this one that really stood out. I almost felt like this almost seems like this was the apex one of all of them. I don't know why. It's pretty sweet. It is cool. I agree with that. You can go on your next one if you want. Oh, yeah. Well, my next one, this will actually be my first favorite scene. It's what I call Murphy and Lyman Good take the blue thunder for a test drive. Should say test flight, huh? Yeah, we get to see the functionality, man. This is where we start playing with the toys. On this baby, we get the the infrared, the directional microphones, the video, the whisper mode. Uh, we get a little fun with their hovering over the city, just, you know, again, taking the Blue Thunder for a test flight. And they zoom in on a man who's uh, looking for some fun. And he is uh, soliciting a hooker. You can see a guy in a car. He's talking to a buxom blonde and, and says, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a sushi restaurant. Oh, I know. Yeah. And you hear, so you're hearing the audio, but in the Blue Thunder, we see Murphy and Lyman Good apply the microphone. They apply the video. So they zoom in on this, on the, on the boobs, got to have the boobs in an 80s movie. And Lyman Good is drooling over the boobs. But you hear this guy saying, yeah, I'm looking for some sushi. And she's like, oh yeah, well, it's 75 bucks for a California roll. <laughs> like, oh man, uh, this sushi restaurant is expensive. Yes. Damn LA. And this is in 83. I'm like, what's that like? 20, $22. Yeah, I know. 75 God. bucks for a California roll. God, inflation. Good Lord. Jeez. 
It and then, of course, uh, <laughs> you fly. Uh, they're like, okay, well, let's go over here and let's spy on somebody else. Uh, this is when they catch they catch a CHP cop who is uh, nicknamed Double Dork for some reason. In the middle of sex, he's inside of a house and they know who lives in the house. And they, again, they're showing off the gadgetry of Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder also has this fancy high-tech computer that is basically hooked into all databases and has information on anybody and everybody. They do like a really cursory brief explanation, which just cracks me up because Murphy's like, wait, how do we know who's that this woman's actually home, that she's inside the house? And Lyman Good's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, she gave permission. She said, it's okay to be in the database or whatever. Whatever whatever database that was, yeah. It's like, oh, that makes it okay for us to do that. Like we have access to all this information as if the government somehow contacted everybody and people signed their, gave permission to be located. It's kind of like when Google now says, you know, you always get the notifications, allow Google to know your location. Oh yeah. It's the same thing, but Blue Thunder style. Disallow. (laughs) Yeah. Every time. I block every time. And they still know somehow. Yep. Big brother, man. Big brother. Again, a little bit of levity there because they're using the microphone and all the gadgetry and the infrared and stuff like that. And they know this guy's having sex. Anyway, we talked about this already is the scene where they are getting back to division. They're getting back to their precinct and the helipad when they see Cochran down below at street level pulling out in his Corvette. And they're like, what the hell? Let's follow Cochran. And they kind of disobey orders and they follow, they don't kind of, they do disobey orders. They're supposed to land, but they go to follow Cochran and they follow him to uh, this office building where this clandestine meeting is happening. And this is where we understand, because it is a big plot point, how, however, however convoluted it may be, uh, where there's a covert operation. The cool aspect of it for me is that they go into whisper mode. That again was an earliest memory for me. It's something I always remembered. I just think it's really cool that this helicopter, which we all know, especially in LA, are freaking loud. They're just loud. And the fact that this thing has a whisper mode, it just, the sound design is kind of cool for me when it goes into whisper mode that can just hover there right outside the window. I just think it's cool. I enjoy that aspect. And then they spy on this meeting that's happening and they're using the infrared and they can see the bodies walking around. I enjoyed that as a kid. I still enjoy it now. And then it kind of sucks when Cochran opens the curtains and discovers them just hovering right outside. <laughs> They're like, oh, shit, <laughs> we better go now. It's a good moment. I enjoy that sequence. So that's my first favorite scene. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned whisper mode because I was thinking about it. I'm like, why don't you just be in whisper mode all the time? Yeah. It's kind of like in my car. I have a Honda and they're like, oh, you can hit the eco button and it saves gas. And you could turn it on or off. Well, if you want to save gas, just keep it on all the time. What's the point of having the button? Yeah, this is a great point. I think about that all the time myself. Yeah. It's just kind but of- it does kind of make me think of the EVs now, the electric vehicles like Tesla, et cetera. Those are almost in whisper mode all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, those are, it's pretty incredible what they have now. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically a stealth chopper. Use it for what it's meant to be used for. How often are you going to need to hear the chopper in the sky? I mean, it's cool. I would. My last favorite scene is is the dogfight at the end. So do you have something between up until then? Let me look at my notes, Bill Ban. Okay. So I actually like this one moment 
where Murphy now is basically, he knows everybody's going to come after him and he's in deep shit. So Murphy basically goes back to the precinct and all too easily just gets into the blue thunder uh, because at this point, the reason why he's getting into the blue thunder is to hear Lyman Good's recording that he had left behind, which gives him the location of the tape that they need to recover. The tape that has a recording of the discussion of the bad guys revealing their evil plot. Right. And there's an APB out for Murphy because they're trying to tie him in with uh, Lyman Good's death for some reason which made no sense to me either. Oh, right. Yeah, good point. He's got to be in whisper mode himself. <laughs> this is true. He's using, yeah, wearing whisper mode shoes to walk yes. around very quietly. I believe Skechers has, makes those. So he's sitting in Blue Thunder, listening to the recording. Then there's the, a mechanic that comes up and just starts giving him shit. Says, hey, you can't be here. Get right. Has, acting like he has no idea who the hell he is. That, yeah. just, that was weird. I'm like, what's your first day, pal? Right. It could have been, yeah, simple, you know, hey, do you know who I am kind of thing? Don't you know who I am? But the mechanic, who's just kind of an outright dick, is giving him shit. I just love this moment because even though totally inappropriate, Murphy just pulls out his gun and points it right. (laughs) And it's a great, I actually paused it perfectly on this moment. And it's a great, I wish I had that poster. Like, it's a great screenshot of just Roy Scheider looking like a badass. Mm Mm-hmm. Just a great moment. And of course, the mechanic is just scared shitless and turns around and runs away. Yeah. That's just kind of a favorite moment. Yeah. Shouldn't ever be pulling a gun on somebody just to intimidate them, but it kind of works in that moment in the movie. Yeah. The mechanic doesn't run off and report him. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I think that was it. But uh, that's funny enough because then my next thing I wrote down was breaking down the action finale because I have, because it's such a long sequence. Very long. I have. I broke it up into two favorite scenes and or sections. And I have a a one favorite moment in between it and between those. Okay. But I will let you take the lead on this. All right. So picking up where you left off. So Murphy, hears a recording. Uh, Lyman good has unfortunately gotten killed. And so Murphy needs to get the tape to prove what's going on. And in the recording, Lyman leaves is I left the evidence tape at the dumpster of this drive-in movie theater, and they usually don't pick up the trash until Monday, should still be sitting there. So he pretty much steals the Blue Thunder Yep, and takes off. So, of course, Cochran's all upset. Everybody with the government is like, oh, crap, uh, what are we going to do? So as Murphy takes off, he makes a phone call. First, he calls the news station to say, hey, I have some evidence, a big breaking story, probably ties in the McNeely murder. I'm going to get the evidence to you soon. And then the next phone call he makes is to, and this took me forever to figure out if it was girlfriend, ex-wife. I don't know who the hell it was. Yep. We'll be talking about that. Yes. It was uh, played by Cindy Clark. And he tells Kate, drop what you're doing. I need you to go to the movie theater. I need you to grab this tape that's sitting there and then take the tape to the news station. So at this point, the police think, Murphy has gone rogue. He is bad. So they need to take him out. And so it's our, so it's our first part of three fights technically, right? Yep. Okay. So the first one is they sent up two other police helicopters. One of the police helicopters is from his former partner, Montoya, who 
was with Murphy until he got replaced with Lyman Good. Right. And they try to shoot down the Blue Thunder to no avail. And of course, Murphy takes both of them out. Then they decide that they're going to send up, was it F-16s? Two F-16s? That's correct. Two F-16s. And it's two F-16s versus, which is great. They're just blowing up Los Angeles trying to shoot down Blue Thunder, which is crazy because... That would really be the big news story at that point after that these missiles are shooting at the blue it's thunder. bad shit. Crazy. It's fucking bad shit. And of course, Murphy is able to take both of them out with the technology and using his wits and smarts because they shoot missiles at them and they're heat sensitive. And he uses the sun reflecting off a building to mask the heat of the helicopter. And, and poor Amos is barbecue, man. Oh, yeah. Raining chicken everywhere. Yes. So then the third fight is against Cochran, who goes up in a little dinky. I don't even know. It's not even like a military copter, but it, it's a copter that has guns. It looks like a fly. It looks it like does. a little fly buzzing around. And it's annoying, but it's it works. I don't know. It's perfect for Cochran. Because you're thinking there's no way this little helicopter is going to take out Blue Thunder. But of course, oh, man, Blue Thunder's guns are jammed. So how's he going to do this now? And it's back and forth because they're pretty much equal on par on, on flying. So it's they're tactic. both they're equal as in flying prowess as pilots. But I always saw this as a kid. And how I see it now is that Cochran's smaller chopper was a little more agile. It's faster and more maneuverable. Mm-hmm. The Blue Thunder feels like kind of a hulking hunk of metal it has more firepower maybe and more gadgetry but it's not as quick i agree with that it is one of those kind of clash of styles and just see what's going to be better there's just amazing aerial shots throughout los angeles what i just love yeah and then hiding in between buildings and then there's one shot where they're on each side of a parking structure so you can just kind of barely see the other helicopter through the other side and then they do all the slow flying through this factory and they're going under um, these overpasses. And of course, the whole time, Murphy's trying to get those guns to work because he can't shoot yet. So Cochran's just digging up the Blue Thunder hero there. So you think, there's, how's Murphy going to get out of this? And then we do the infamous 360 loop where he basically 360 loops and gets behind Cochran and then just blows them to smithereens. It's impossible. Yeah, the aerial stuff in this is awesome that i think is is really cool that that's just one of the things i really just liked about the film throughout just all the aerial stuff but yeah the fight scenes are a little bit implausible at the end it's kind of goofy but it's still fun how they shot it i thought it was really good and it was a mix of like miniatures and you can you can barely tell which is which for the most part yeah yeah for the most part I mean, if you're really looking for it, then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's for me, and I'll, I'll say this right now, it's just one section, really. And that's the F-16 section, which I just have a huge problem with. But outside of that, I mm-hmm. thought everything is fucking great. But yeah, just the fact they send out F-16s to try to... That made no sense. Cause like, You got to hit the Blue Thunder or else... We got all kinds of problems there. At least I'll give them this much credit is that when the mayor arrives and they talk about that, they actually say, what about the people on the ground and the, the actual civilian, the collateral damage or potential there? You know, it's like, OK, at least they mention it. But we'll talk about that later in complaints, I think. Was he the actual mayor or was this just character name just happened to be mayor? Th- I, that's not clear. Yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't clear. sure about that either. 
I didn't know who he was. Like, because I was I like, why is the mayor glad to up? see Jason Bernard show up? But oh yeah, of course. I then I saw his credit as mayor. I'm like, oh, he was supposed to be the mayor. <laughs> yeah, or was this <laughs> like, character named Mayor? I don't know. He was in charge of something. But yeah, good stuff, man. It's all about that final action set piece sequence finale and that first portion when Murphy goes up against his old partner Montoya and he's going against the two choppers then it's kind of cool where you you see he's the veteran you know he's going to outfly them but also now he's got the firepower and he disables the first chopper and says okay Montoya let's see how you handle auto rotation whatever that means Mm -hmm. and it's still kind of cool and then Montoya is able to land his chopper, but it's the engine's failing, et cetera. But the subsequent pursuit by the, the second uh, air support chopper going after Blue Thunder through the dry, the LA River viaduct is totally badass. Yes. I was watching it and like out loud go, was going, oh man, this is great. I don't care if they sped up the film a little bit, which they, I know they did, but it doesn't look sped up if you're not paying attention to that. It looks like they're just hauling ass through the viaduct, going under, over bridges. Yeah, it looks good. And there's some great editing. I can see why it was nominated for that. Great cuts, great uh, close-ups. There's some rear projection used in this movie. Some of it's not great. Some of it's a little more noticeable than that. But in this sequence... Everything's really tight in this first half of the or first third of this finale. And then when that poor chopper slams into the middle column of one of the bridges, like the overpasses, it's like, oh, boy, that's no way. Yeah, there's like no way those guys would have survived. But they kind of make it look like it could have been plausible, but there's just no way. But it's still... Some cool practical effects. Anyway, it's they're hauling ass. In the middle of this, I have a favorite moment. Here's just another Blue Thunder money shot because we have our freaking crazy Kate driving around. She had retrieved the tape that she's going to get to bring to the news station to be broadcast, etc. She's on, I always remember, I can reckon it's either like 4th, 5th, 6th, or 7th Street going into L.A., uh, it's used in a million car commercials, et cetera. It's a beautiful view of downtown LA crossing over any of those streets. She's on that bridge over past that street and the cops pull her over and she's cornered and she stops. They come up to her. They're like, can you please step out of the car, ma'am? And then who shows up? The blue thunder. Yeah. Like just, you hear the chopper. You like, it pulls right up over the bridge in the background. And you're like, Oh Yeah. And of course, the cops turn around and are like, holy effing shit. And then, of course, Kate takes off. Thanks to Murphy and Blue Thunder providing a distraction, a major distraction. It's a great money shot. That is a pretty good distraction. And then, yeah, just to expound just a little bit more. Yeah, on that, uh, the last third, I'm skipping over the F-16 sequence. But to go to that, Cochran chasing Murphy, like you said, sweet photography of downtown L.A. when they're just swooping around. I wish I was better with my geography of downtown LA, but some cool tactics. And I love when they're blasting away at one of the smokestacks, when they get into the kind of that warehouse slash mill from RoboCop. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But it's funny, man. I'm going to skip ahead to my complaints because the problem I have with this ending is that it takes place this whole like warehouse mill district. 
all I can think about is the cold open from For Your Eyes Only. Because I'm like, they, they have the, oh, the smoke yeah. Stack, and all I'm thinking about is dropping Blofeld down the smoke stack. Yeah. Like, it's just really fun. In all honesty, it's a kick-ass sequence and always looking forward to the loop, which, by the way, stepping on fun facts and trivia can be done. I thought it was a myth for the longest time. I thought yeah, I did too. in the movie, like, oh, it can't be done. Oh, yeah, absolutely it can be. Yeah, so great finale, blowing Cochrane out of the sky. And uh, this will be my last favorite moment is the actual landing Blue Thunder on the train tracks in front of the oncoming locomotive. It's a quadruple take of the explosion. (laughs) That's great. It's like they got four angles of this thing and they're like, we spent a lot of film stock. We spent a lot of money on this. We're going to show every take from every angle. God damn it. And they do. And it's awesome. (laughs) And then to top it off, we get the final take of the explosion is with Murphy in the foreground walking away and we get a nice freeze frame. I did like the freeze frame the way they did the credits at the end. You don't see that very often. With a nice, uh, at the very, very end of the credits, nod to War Notes in loving memory. That was cool. Uh, Anything else for moments or scenes? No. Hey, let's take a quick break and hear from our friends over at the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Hey, do you enjoy movies? If so, you're going to want to check out the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. We're inviting you to join us as we dive into beloved movies from 10 years ago and beyond. We cover every genre and every era. The show is fun and personal, but also insightful and informative. The Retro Movie Roundtable is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Please check them out over at the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast. Now back to our show. All right, so let's move on to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it doesn't fall under Swiss cheese, it's just filed with the complaint department. So I certainly have a lot more complaints of Swiss cheese than I do favorite scenes, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know if I can really say Swiss cheese because I couldn't figure out the plot. So I couldn't really think of a hole in the plot when I don't know the plot. The plot is the hole. So we kind of already discussed that. Um, So my first complaint is I couldn't figure out how did the cop show up so fast in McNeely's house when she was attacked? I might have bought if one car showed up in time, but the fact that as many came as they did on the ready. It's oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's really quick because it's a residential neighborhood. Maybe there's a cop going through there. Someone has to call that in. Oh, completely. Oh, I totally agree. Again, this is a part of the, the issue here is it's a little convoluted because they could have easily made sense of this as well. The whole issue is that we have Murphy and Lyman Good kind of fucking off watching hot nudie Lucy being peeping Tom's, which is my first complaint, actually, or one of my first complaints. And uh, they're kind of slow on the draw here they're a little bit late to the scene if they weren't messing around looking and spying on hot celebrity women in the hills they could have been looking for actual crimes happening but when they hear the call over the radio or whatever the cops are already there apprehended like within seconds of her being accosted by these the bad guys you know so it's a good call i just found it weird 
yeah, if they had spotted it from the air and then called the cops and then they get there a little bit too late and she had been killed, you know, that could have been the thrust or the inciting incident of Mm -hmm. things to follow. Right. But yeah, it's a little strange. Yeah. 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 Or if that somehow worked into our convoluted plot, like the cops knew this was going to happen. It was part of the conspiracy. Yeah. That would have made more sense to me. Right. But then they wouldn't have killed the, I don't even know what you would call them. They weren't there to kill her. They were just there to get the information out of the briefcase. Correct? Yeah, because they, yeah, because the guy kind of complains, like, why'd you kill her? Captain Braddock says they're calling it an assault and a rape. And Murphy's like, it, there was no rape. That's not, that's right. not correct. So that you think it's more of a cover up. Right. So there was something going on there. There's corruption. That's true. They might have hired the two guys to steal it. And then, we're oh, they kill definitely them. did. They definitely yeah, they did. Hire them. Because we know our bad guy who just hangs out in his shitty Chevy was there watching. He's the one that brought those guys there. Basically. Well, no, they drove themselves, but I mean, he was watching it go down. He knew right, he was supervising. Yeah. Those guys were hired. Probably not knowing they were going to get killed in the end. Right, 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 right. Okay. That wasn't part of it. All right. Plan. That makes more sense. They are all part of the conspiracy. I don't know if the cops were. I don't yeah. Know. It could have went either way. Either they could have got away with it and then brought the briefcase and then got killed then or. There is corruption in the police department, though, because somebody's calling it a rape. They were trying to frame it as a really violent crime because they want this crime to be happening in order to promote having this ultimate weapon in the Blue Thunder. You know, they're overselling it. Right. But they never really answer it because you don't know. There's never any let's arrest the corrupt cops. So, yeah. You can see yeah. my issues. And you get confused as to who even the bad guys really are. It's funny in the Wikipedia breakdown, they say at the end of it that our, uh, the bad guys get arrested, but you never see it. They, they're kind no. of faceless. For yeah, the, I mean, we get, don't get me wrong. We do see a couple of them. There's, you know, in particular, they're just, it's, you're now, now, yeah, damn it, even it though, is confused. Yeah, because even though Cochran gets killed, He's not the main bad guy. There's no. he's like third or fourth step down. Right. So there's still a couple of guys out there that might not get We their see the guy at the news station who tries to take the tape from Kate. They're they're just still kind of nameless, yeah. uh, faceless a little bit at the same time. Anyway, go ahead. Here's what I don't understand is that we see Frank Murphy and Lyman Good use Blue Thunder to spy on Cochran, as he goes to the meeting to meet the other bad guys. And it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah, good idea. Well, once Murphy is grounded indefinitely and he's in a lot of trouble, and we know that Cochran and the other, you know, subversive group members, these bad guys are after him. Why doesn't Cochran just use Blue Thunder immediately to locate Murphy and detain him? I just thought that it'd be like, makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? He's the pilot. Like he knows blue thunder inside and out. He's the one that's tested blue thunder time and time again. We're led to understand just use blue thunder to find Murphy. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's a good one. I didn't even think of that one. That's a good one. Murphy used it against Cochran. Why doesn't Cochran use it against Murphy? It seemed like it's just, you know, it's sitting right there. Clearly anybody can just kind of get in it at any time. Yeah. Because that leads to my next hold. Again, I just have security is an issue in 80s movies. Security at the LAPD air support division hangar completely sucks. I mean, come on. Murphy is able to steal a multi-million dollar gunship with absolutely no issue. (laughs) 
except for the dickhead mechanic who's hanging around. Like, come on, you've got a $5 million prototype helicopter. It's just sitting there and you can just get in and take off. Yeah, I wanted to know how he flew that out, out of the hangar. Because that's not like it's a high ceiling. As soon as the, the that's like, don't you have to roll it out? Like, you got, yeah, you don't, I don't think you could, you're supposed to be, liftoff shouldn't occur inside the hangar. No. That's the first thing I thought of when he started it up. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to be outside. I don't know how that works. All right. So for me, this confused the shit out of me. So we find out after uh, Murphy gets um, grounded, I have a scene at his house with, Kate, who's, like I said, didn't know if his ex-wife, girlfriend, wherever the hell she was. Right. And then on the news, they announced that McNeely died that morning in the hospital. And then it cuts to Murphy at night at McNeely's residence. Right. At first, I was like, wait, is that the same night? What are they, what are they doing? That yeah. confused me. So he shows up at McNeely's house. So I'm, I'm guessing it's the next night. Two people were killed there, plus McNeely. There's no sign of a crime scene whatsoever. Right. He walks right in, checks out the grounds, quickly finds a piece of evidence. Wait a second. They should have been combing the shit out of that place. There shouldn't be anything there. He easily finds a piece of paper. Oh, yeah. That's a great point. Absolutely. That has a clue on it that I still don't even understand what the clue is. Well, yeah, it eventually it leads to Thor, right? It has the word Thor on it, which is an acronym into itself. It's, it's totally confusing. And you're absolutely right. There should be police tape all over that place, signs saying, and there probably should be some police presence or a cop posted there or something. I mean, it's a, an outdoor, you know, because it was her, like her driveway and stuff right out front and everything that where it all went down. Yeah, no police tape, no nothing, like nothing ever happened. No news vans. And we're supposed to think that just because now his beeper goes off a couple of times and he's nervous about it because he knows he's not supposed to be there because it is a crime scene. But you're absolutely right. Like it's that place should have been scoured for all kinds of evidence. And then he finds the piece of paper just in stuck up in a tree. Yeah. And luckily, I guess McNeely is single. She has that whole house to herself, which I thought was kind of strange. I figure I'm like, I attractive lady should married or have you know have somebody there the big house the pool yeah oh by the way i love that's uh, listeners you got it you must know this fans of 80s movies you whenever a bad guy gets shot gotta have him land in the pool at some point yes that's a must in an 80s movie because you get the blood you know the blood club oh, yeah. in the pool it's a great shot it is a great gotta shot. do it good call man the crime scene at mcneely's house just wide open to anybody who wants to climb fences and grab pieces of paper out of the trees. Yep. So, yeah, I'm going to touch on it. Well, first of all, I had an issue with just being peeping Tom's in a helicopter. What's going on, guys? You're just you're just staring at naked girls. And like there's I don't don't be peeping Tom's. I get it. She's super hot. But the fact that she does not hear that helicopter. Oh, see, she must my be, take, man. Yeah, she must be take. into it. Yeah, she totally hears him. She's an exhibitionist, yes, clearly. She's got to be. I mean, look at the, what she was doing. My goodness. I couldn't believe I did not remember that scene. I couldn't believe it either until I think when I read the research. And the reason is because I saw this on TV and they uh, changed it. Yes. Uh, so, But funny, quick, funny sidebar. So I'm watching this. And luckily, you know, I have two little kids. 
And of course, it's when that scene's happening. And I hear one of their <laughs> doors open. And I'm like, oh, shit. Right. And I just happened to hit the pause button right when it shows Murphy and Lyman Good in the copter. And then my daughter comes in to like, oh, oh daddy, this, this. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. That's thank God. hilarious. And then she's like, what are you watching? Oh, I'm just a movie for the show. Why don't you go back to bed? And then I had to wait till I hear the door close. Wait like a minute. And then I right, keep continuing. It's an exercise video. But I, I was thinking like, if you were in the theater and you saw that on the big, holy crap. Because I mean, it's just right on her full body, full nakedness. It's I hope like, they paid yeah. her a lot. Yeah. Shout out to Anna Forrest who plays yeah, Nudie Lucy. But I would have remembered that for sure as a kid yeah but, I just, uh, I again stepping on on the trivia in the edited for television version she reshot that scene with workout clothes on so could be a reason why yeah don't remember that but uh you're right man she's seen that on the big screen but here okay let's let's talk about kate yes please played by uh, the adorable candy clark yes super cute that's God. That's another thing about them. I'm like the last time I remember seeing her was trapped in a telephone booth, being surrounded by the blob. Oh, there you go. So here's my take. She's his girlfriend. They are in an on and off again relationship. At this point in this movie, they're off. I guess. Okay. He had taken a leave of absence from work. We know he has PTSD. He was down in Laguna Beach. She'd left him a couple of messages on his answering machine alluding to the fact that he had sent her a postcard from Laguna and she shows up at his house at 3 a.m. to get a blender. Maybe she used that as an excuse. Cause I was thinking about that too. So his shift basically starts at six and probably ends at two. Sure. I get that. But she drags her kid with her. Yeah. That made no sense to me to go to his house. Yes. She uses the blender as an excuse to be there. But why come at 9 a.m.? Yeah. I don't know. Like 3 a.m. It was just really odd. The relationship is definitely not too. clear. So I was just going, wait, who is she? Oh, she's his ex-wife. No, wait, no. The kid's not his. So wait, what? I'm there with you. I'm just trying to sell you the 3 a.m. thing because I didn't buy it either. Yeah, but why drag your kid? Like that's not, even though he clearly sleeps like a rock. And I was going to say something about that until there's an actual line where. When Murphy's like, this kid has got to be deaf. Hope it wasn't a school night. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, because it turns out he was faking it the whole time. He was actually awake. Leave him at home. I mean, it's the 80s. You could do that. You can't do that now. But you could have done it back then. Negligent parents in 80s movies. Because she, nice, she had a nice place. Yeah. So moving ahead to the, we have the introduction of Colonel Cochran. And we know that Cochran's going to test out Murphy. That seemed made no sense to me. What the? F- Cochran is the initial test pilot for Blue Thunder. We get it. Yes. We know that Frank Murphy is now slated to fly Blue Thunder in representing LA because they're prepping it, this whole thing for the upcoming 84 Olympics. Great. Okay. So Frank Murphy essentially is going to replace Cochran as the number one pilot of Blue Thunder. So Cochran has got to check him out. Be like, are you fit to fly this thing? But instead of actually checking him out on Blue Thunder, he has Murphy fly in a separate helicopter. 
what's the point? What are you doing? What is the point of the scene? I didn't get that at all. Besides to have a cool crash. It seems to obviously set up the fact that Cochran is a murderous son of a bitch. Like he literally tries to kill Murphy and then, and Lyman good for that matter, because they're flying together. But so is the point that he just wants to see if Murphy's flying skills are up to snuff? Makes no sense to me. The whole point is that he's got to make sure Murphy's up to date. And my dad had to do this from time to time. He called it, uh, they called it a check ride. They called it a check ride. Okay. And that's what pilots would have to do. I'm sure they, I mean, they still do. I don't know if they still call it that, but they still, it's a test. They have to be tested every certain amount where you've got to, somebody's going to sit with you and they're going to watch you go through the motions and make sure you are up to date and that your skills are sharp and fresh and you know what the hell you're doing in the cockpit. Right. So, and it's set up, his character is set up to that he is losing his mind, supposedly. He's kind of deteriorating due to his PTSD. He's got issues. So it totally has, it's a great setup. And then Cochran has him flying a different helicopter. Doesn't make any sense. He should be testing him on the Blue Thunder. Yeah, I didn't understand that scene myself. So I'm glad we're on the same page on that one. So for me, uh, the first time we see the Blue Thunder, it's for the test demonstration. And they have all these bleachers and they have all these people set up in the bleachers. And then they basically have a city block. And they have these buildings set up and they have these terrorists in red and these cars that are designated as terrorist cars. And then they have the civilians in white. Jason, after I saw the Blue Thunder do that first pass, I am booking out of those fucking bleachers. How did no one else get shot up? They should have all been dead the way he was shooting up that street. Right. <laughs> That scared the shit out of me. After I saw him do that first pass, I'm out of here. That's hilarious. That's great. He's just supposed to hit the terrorists in the red right. and the cars. He blows up everything. I think oh, there's absolutely. like two civilians left. Right. And granted, like the targeting system hasn't been calibrated properly, whatever it is. He's terrible. He shoots the hell out of the whole place. And you're right. The, the bleachers are like literally at the at end the of the street. End of the alley. The right at the head of like the f- head of the alley where this whole fake town has been set up. The shooting range leads right into the bleachers where everybody's watching. So he's coming down the alley. Basically, he's coming right down the pipe facing the bleachers, yeah. firing six 20 millimeter guns. At the- <laughs> yeah. And there's these terrorists on top of buildings. So he's got to shoot high. Oh, he's like shooting the, all those, over. Yeah. yeah those those bleachers are way out. too close. Way That'd too close for me. I'd have been like, that's cool. Just uh it's just dead silence after he makes his first pass and it there's a shot of the bleachers, everybody's yep, dead. It's yep. just bleeding everywhere. That's a great call. Hey, let's go back to Kate real quick. Yeah, please. Uh and some more confusement when a confusement or that's yeah, see how confused I am just yes, thinking about character. Yeah, causes confusement. I, I agree uh, with you. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and I looked at the word endangerment. I like that though. I might yeah. use that from now on. Confusement. <laughs> I'm serious. I know it's good, but kind of works out. I'm in total confusement. I hope we started something. All 80s movies podcast just coined the term confusement. Yes. Look, Murphy's been, you know, sidelined. Well, no, no, now he's supposed to be flying Blue Thunder, but oh no, I think this is actually before the introduction of Blue Thunder. And Murphy's been grounded. He and Kate and Kate's son are going on a little play date, I guess. And they're going to a local park and they're going to, uh, the train the park. I've been, I've been there. 
looks cool. It's right around the corner from the zoo. And the Griffin that's Park. what I figured. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I figured. And they missed the turnoff. Kate's driving like a bat out of hell, an absolute maniac. And she makes a 180 on a one way street and endangers the lives of everybody just to establish that her character is a reckless driver, I guess, which comes into play later in the film. Jason, just so you know, because the first time I went there, I missed the turn too. <laughs> luckily, but luckily now the road's two ways. So I just turned up and, and came back around. Right. So probably because yeah, flip a bitch, man. Yeah. So I guess the movie actually corrected that issue. I, like we can't have people turn around. Yeah, maybe. This crazy. But I did laugh. I'm like, oh, I missed a turn there too. First time. Right. That's funny enough. But then she that's total child endangerment, man. It's just reckless driving. Yeah. And you're putting it like I, I was just kind of like, what the hell? Hey man, skipping ahead to uh this tough scene. Lyman good. Uh-oh. Is this when it comes Lyman bad? <laughs> Lyman not so good. He uh, unfortunately is basically kidnapped, tied up, taped. Well, he's not doing so hot. Broke one of his fingers. They're trying to figure out where he put the tape that has the recording of the bad guys. One of the guys, he's there's two of them that are kind of holding him hostage, basically, or have kidnapped him, I should say. They're not holding him hostage. And one of the guys goes down to look for the tape in his car. And Lyman, good, for a second, gets the best of one of the bad guys. And apparently Lyman Good is an absolute 100% black belt in karate because he kicks the first guy once, guy goes down. He's out, out cold. Yeah. Lyman Good runs down the stairs. In all of his wisdom, this is the, the second bad guy. In all of the bad guy's wisdom, he runs up the stairs, doesn't try to swing at Lyman Good or anything. He just runs right into Lyman Good's second black belt karate kick, which knocks out the second bad guy. Yeah. And he gets away temporarily before third bad guy runs him over, which is bad. But I'm like, Lyman Good, two kicks, two bad guys down. That's it. That's all it takes. That's impressive. Cracked me up. And then there is a little bit of a gaff here where Lyman Good being chased by henchmen in Chevy is about to get run over, but he's running away, runs around. I think they go back to the circle liquor. I think that might happen outside circle circus liquor again. Uh-huh. Anyway, Lyman Good runs into a young lady who's on a bicycle and you can see, cause Lyman Good has his hands tied around his oh, back. zip tied. Yeah. Zip tied. Zip tied. But when Daniel Stern, the actor playing Lyman Good, goes down, you see him reach out. Yep. The break is fall. Yeah. They fall. And then in the next shot, his hands are tied behind him again. Yes. Yeah. It's like, whoops. Let me tie these back up. I've got plenty more. What's what's next? Yeah, I got plenty too. Um, all right. So two quick ones. What's up with the hostile construction workers, man? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> so I thought the same thing. I'm like, these guys just crashed, man. Yeah. They, they weren't doing it on purpose. They weren't trying to hurt you. Thank God there's no one in the um, trailer, but then, yeah. you know, your first instinct is try to help the people, not try to kick the shit out of them. Damn. That is vicious. Right. Just set it up just a briefly for the listeners. This is during when Cochran's supposedly testing Murphy's flying skills and has sabotaged Murphy's helicopter and Murphy and Lyman Good in that helicopter crash into a construction site. And after they crash, you'd think the people on the ground would be like, holy shit, are you guys okay? Yeah. They're like, almost trying to pull them yelling out. at him. They're, yeah, they're like, trying to yeah. pull them out and beat the show. Yeah. Not cool. Easy does it, guys. First, make sure they're okay, and then 
yell at him. Uh, Jason, quick question. What kind of sandwich do you eat with ketchup? I don't know what the hell she was making for him. Like a hamburger sandwich? <laughs> I know. I'm like, just say burger. Just say burger then. I I'm telling you, Kate, is she is gonzo, like crazy bananas, man. I couldn't pay attention to the scene because I was racking my brain trying to think of what the hell sandwich would I make that I would put ketchup on it? Why would I not say burger? Or hot dog. Oh, yeah, I don't do hot dog. Who puts ketchup on a sandwich? If there's anyone that puts ketchup on a sandwich, please let us know. Because I could you, not man, figure everything out. Everything around that character. Oh, yeah, I got, I got more adorable, with her. But she's nuts. She's nuts, man. And speaking of which, here's a complaint or a question for you. Yes. Is when Murphy uses his cool little gadget to retrieve his uh, answering machine messages from a payphone. Yes. The first message is from Lyman Good, which he's receiving posthumously here because Lyman Good has died. So it's a message from Lyman Good saying, I left a note for you, basically a message for you in the blue thunder. That's where you can retrieve it. So he knows where to go get this secret message from Lyman Good. Great. The second message off his answering machine is from Kate. And Kate says, I just, I'm just calling to uh, say, I'm really sorry about what happened to Lyman Good. Yeah, like she already knows. There's no way. What the hell? <laughs> he just got killed. How the hell would you? It's not even on the news yet. Like, what? Even if it was live you... on the news, it would not identify who the person was yet. No, there's just no way. I'm like, wait a minute. That literally just happened. Yeah. How the hell would she know that he hadn't killed? I caught that one too. So, when Murphy steals Blue Thunder. Okay. Oh, I wonder if you have the same as mine. This is going to lead into another major nitpick I have with all movies, basically, to this day. Okay. Cochran sees he's flying off of Blue Thunder, runs outside, pulls out his pea shooter, and starts shooting at him. Oh, yeah. I can't stand that shit, Bill. What is that? Yeah. Ban- I can't stand it. Just wasting bullets. What are you doing? You're not Martin Riggs. No. You cannot fire your handheld gun at a chopper, especially Blue Thunder, and hope to hit anything or do any real damage. You would know more than anyone else. The bullets are not going to penetrate. What do you like? It's absolutely insane to me. And here's what it, it made me think of. One of my biggest pet peeves in any action movie is when either cops or military or anyone else shoots at either aliens, some giant metal object or robot or helicopter in this case, that is clearly impervious to bullets. The cops or military or person just keep shooting. I don't understand that. It's just idiocy. Why, why are you still shooting at something that cannot be hurt by bullets? Why would you do that? Stop doing it. Just stop. Frustration. Might as well just throw the gun out at that. It's like too. a Godzilla movie. When, they, when the military comes in and they're firing rockets and tanks are firing missiles and Godzilla is clearly impervious to all of it and they just keep shooting. Stop shooting. Idiots. <laughs> It doesn't work. Am I wrong? Oh, no, I agree with you 100%. I can't. I never, I never get it either. It really grinds my gears. Uh, I get you. All right, so this is my uh, last complaint that I'm going to file. All right, we find out Lyman Good stashes the evidence in a dumpster at the drive-in movie theater. Correct? Yes. Which is just weird in itself that that's the place you would put key evidence. How to- about this? Put it behind the dumpster, under the dumpster, that's where near I thought- the dumpster. Don't put it inside the trash and make you 
actually do a dumpster dive to find it. That's what I thought at first, too, that he put it behind the dumpster. Then when Kate was climbing in there, I'm like, what, what are you doing? Why would you do that? But anyway, moving on. So Murphy calls Kate to get the evidence or tape from the dumpster and take it to the news station. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but Murphy then flies to the movie theater to meet up with Kate to watch her get the tape out of the dumpster. Right. Yeah. Land the fucking copter. That's exactly what I was Get Kate yeah. in the copter and fly her to the news station. You put her at risk going through that whole chase sequence. That was unnecessary. That Again, made no sense to me. I'm like, get, really the, doesn't. get doesn't. the fucking copter. It would have been different if he didn't show up and had her just do it. But the yeah. fact that he shows up and is watching her get the goddamn copter. I, my only thing was like, oh, you can't really land it there, maybe. But there's a lot of space. I, I don't know. He could have like, landed it. Why are you there anyway? Just why did you go there? You're just drawing attention. Now all the cops are there. There's no way the hell she gets out of that. Anyway, the cops are just dumb in that sequence. There's no way she gets out of that clean. Oh, yeah. The fact her car survives going through the. She uh, goes through the freaking wall and the cops kind of crash or hit each other. You know, it's like, no. Yeah, I thought the same thing. As soon as he started flying to the drive-in theater, you can just get the tape then. Or just, yeah, tell me you're there. I'll pick you up and I'll take you to the, I can drop you off the roof of the news station. I love that. Yeah, that's what they should have done. That makes no no sense sense. to me. You just put her in so much danger. Oh, completely. There's, there better put a ring in her finger if you're making her go through that shit. She's clearly all about him. She loves him. She's showing up at 3 a.m. All right, I'm moving on to my major complaint with that final action sequence. And it's just everything with the F-16s. I remember as a kid thinking it was kind of cool because it's like, oh, my God, how's Murphy going to get out of this? He's flying a helicopter going against two fighter jets. They're F-16s. Right. They're F-16s. No, none of this is plausible. It looks like crap. So the effects aren't great. And as soon as they go to into the cockpit and stuff, and it's just like, what are we doing here, guys? Everything else was so cool and realistic. And that just the, the rear projection stuff. The literal joystick, like everything in the cockpit, none of it looks, it just looks like they just put panels, they stole panels from, well, the joystick actually is the same joystick from Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) That's the actual (laughs) from the Viper. That is the same one Uh they used in the Viper. It's great, which I love for the Viper, not for the F-16 necessarily. Anyway, but here's my favorite part of it is that you have call signs for our F-16 pilots, little brother and cookie cookie so their lines are when they get blue thunder in their sights he's all yours cookie and then later on okay he's all mine now cookie what are we doing holy shit i was like cookie is your call (laughs) i thought it was just ridiculous uh they're they're shooting rockets into sides of buildings and stuff here guys uh we're talking about massive civilian casualties this is like man of steel level before man of steel Almost. What are we doing? Yeah, we see guys trying to evacuate the buildings on the ground and stuff. It's all confusing, but it's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't have F-16s firing rockets in downtown, downtown LA. LA. We're, not, we're not at True Lies level yet. I understand that. Even in True Lies, at least, what are they? They destroy, what, Seven Mile Bridge? Right. Not the corporate building in downtown LA. Anyway, it, the F-16 sequence is just ridiculous to me. I agree. But everything surrounding it was freaking awesome. 
I think that's all I've got for complaints, man. What else do you got? Oh, that was it. So let's uh, okay. move on right on to our let's next segment, which right. is hey, it's that actor. <laughs> so right. in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's hey, it's that actor. I think we might have the same person, Jason. I think we fine. we just might. I'm gonna so, let you. I'm, I'll let you go first. All right, I'm going with a gentleman. It's a male actor. Okay. The same His initials so are JS. No, no. Oh, okay. All right. Good. All right. So who do you have? So my, <laughs> it's that actor is Joe Santos who plays Montoya. Oh, okay. He was, yeah, he was a nominee for me. Yeah. love this guy. Recognize him immediately. Great character actor. He actually had a run on Magnum PI. Great TV series. As a police oh. lieutenant, Nolan Page. Okay, cool. I did not, I recognized him, but I had no idea what he was on. I, to be completely honest, never watched uh, a lot of Magnum PI. I've seen maybe a handful of episodes. Yeah, so he had a run on that show. Then he was in an episode of our all-time favorite Miami Vice. And an episode called Hostile Takeover. That was in 1988, and he played the character of Oscar Carrera in that episode of Miami Vice. He was also in The Last Boy Scout, uh, and I remember him in The Postman. Uh, He ended up doing a bunch of Rockford Files TV movies as Lieutenant Dennis Becker, and he was on seven episodes of The Sopranos. Quite a career for Joe Santos, uh, and then he passed in 2016. So rest in peace, Joe Santos. No, that's a good one because I, I recognize him, but I couldn't figure out what it was from. So cool. Um, so my hey, actor is Anthony James, who in the credits it says his name was Grundellis, but he was basically the evil guy in the Chevy. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He was a nominee for me too. Yeah. So he's, you know, one of the great bad guy character actors ever. Yeah. I didn't realize doing the research how tall he was. He's uh, supposedly was uh, six foot six. Damn. And um, one no of his, wonder he's sitting down all the time. And one of his most notable roles was the assassin Hector Sanchez in The Naked Gun Two and a Half. And he's the one who sings memories with uh, Jane when she's taking the shower and starts crying. It's just a funny scene, which is kind of funny. Uh, yeah, he's did great. Naked Gun last week. But yeah, this was kind of cool for his career. So he bookended his movie career with two Oscar nominated Best Picture. Oscar winners. His first movie that he ever starred in was In the Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier. So, uh-huh. man, it's the third time we've had a mention with Sidney Poitier in um, an episode. And his last film credit was in Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman. He retired from acting after that film and uh, went on to become a painter. He unfortunately passed away in 2020 at the age of 77. Oh. So that actor is Anthony James. Excellent. He's great. So let's move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have to share about Blue Thunder? You know what? I'm going to take a step back really quick. I just want to give one more shout out to Jason Bernard as the mayor or a guy named mayor, only because he was my, hey, it's that actor from War Games, another John Badham film. Yes. So sorry, man. Yeah, let's let's continue on with fun facts and trivia. So yeah, uh, we had mentioned earlier, about this story because I thought this was a great idea because it was kind of niche. 
never really thought about who are these guys that fly the police helicopters and what are their lives like? And can we write a story about it? So co-writers Dan O'Bannon and Don Jacoby began developing the plot while living together in a Hollywood apartment in the late seventies. But the first draft of the screenplay for Blue Thunder was written in 79 and featured Frank Murphy as more of a crazed main character with deeper psychological issues who went on a rampage and destroyed much of Los Angeles before finally falling to the F-16s. I'd like to have seen that. Yeah, uh, the much darker, even more gritty version of this story. little background on uh, Nude Lucy, our woman Nudies. doing yoga. Um, her name was Anna Forrest, and this is her only screen credit. Yes, she started Forrest Yoga back in 82, it's a very well-known uh, yoga instructor, and she's still uh, going strong. Forest Yoga is uh, known for the long holding of its positions, emphasis on abdominal core work, and standing series that can go on for 20 poses on each side. It's uh, reputed for its intensity and the style of emphasis connecting to one's feelings in order to work through physical and emotional trauma. So, yeah, she's like big in the yoga world. <laughs> We just learned all about forest yoga on this podcast. Thanks for breaking that down, man, in such detail. Hey, no problem. That was incredible. Uh, and she's incredible in this movie. That, that was awesome. That's what we're here for, man. Hey, like you said, I learned something new on our own podcast. Mm -hmm. Again, going to give a shout out to Warren Oates. Blue Thunder was filmed on location in Los Angeles beginning in the late months of 1981. And was Warren Oates' last films, or one of his last films before his death on April 3rd, 1982, which occurred during post-production. And the film is dedicated to him. He made one movie and one TV episode before and after filming during the 81-82 year uh, that were released after Blue Thunder. He's awesome in this. Love him in So the stunt driver who drove the police motorcycle chasing Kate and later crashed into the car carrier, actually broke his ankle on that stunt. I'm not surprised. I yelled out when that in that sequence. I was like, damn. I did the same thing. It was a great stunt. Yeah, because you literally see him like slide right into that. Oh, yeah. So I was not surprised when I saw that. Good call. Yeah, yeah. Definitely had to point that one out. Although the film was shot in LA and real life neighborhoods are mentioned, the LAPD did not allow any references to be made to them. Hence, the police force is known as the more generic Metropolitan Police. The LAPD Hooper Heliport served as home base for the fictional police unit, while construction of the heliport was still being completed. The drive-in theater scene where Frank's girlfriend, oh, see, yeah, this is, according to the research, it's his girlfriend. Uh, Kate recovers the tape. Uh, that was filmed at the Pickwick Theater in Burbank, California. The theater has since then been demolished and replaced by pavilions. I found this cool. So uh, early in the film, when Murphy and Lyman Good are on their first tour, um, the female dispatcher who alerts them of the robbery on Vineland and Burbank is Sharon Claridge. The same female dispatcher heard in the entire run of the TV series, Adam 12. And in wow. real life, Claridge was a second shift radio telephone operator or police radio dispatcher in the Van Nuys division of the Los Angeles Police Department. Her voice can also be heard in episodes of Dragnet, 
Lou Grant, and Columbo. What a signed career. No kidding. That's pretty cool. That's great. That's such a quirky thing. I, I love it. That's something I got to share. Malcolm McDowell, who portrayed Cochran, our antagonist, was intensely afraid of flying. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah, not even his then wife, Mary Steenburgen, didn't know they were married. I know. That was a surprise, too. She couldn't even persuade him to overcome his phobia. His grimaces and discomfort can be seen during the climactic battle between the choppers. Steenburgen, his then wife, commented to filmmakers afterward, I don't know how you got him up there. I can't even get him in a 747. All right. So my last fact is about uh, the writers of Blue Thunder, Dan O'Bannon and Don Jacoby. Dan O'Bannon might sound familiar to most movie fans because he was the writer of 1979's Alien. Right. And uh, was the director of 1984's The Return of the Living Dead. Jacoby, meanwhile, wrote uh, Death Wish 3, Arachnophobia, and John Carpenter's Vampires. O'Bannon and Jacoby collaborated on another movie, Life Force, directed by Toby Hooper. Um, they actually wrote two episodes of the Blue Thunder TV series and then also wrote, collaborated on Invaders from Mars. Good stuff. Good for them. Designer Mickey Michaels created the helicopters used in the film after reviewing and rejecting various uh, designs. But the helicopters used for Blue Thunder were French-built Aerospatiale SA-341G gazelles, which were modified with bolt-on parts and Apache-style canopies. Uh, this much I can tell you from the research, I'm paraphrasing, but the cannons, the, the cannon that they put on the nose was so heavy, they had to add a counterweight on the back of it to balance it out because the nose kept dipping. This is my last fun fact. Real chicken was used during the chicken rain sequence after poor Amos's barbecue gets blown up by a heat-seeking missile from an F-16. Uh, no rubber chickens were used, according to director John Patton, because rubber chicken costs... Four to ten times more than real chicken. There you go. Got to cut costs somewhere. All right, so let's move on to box office. Uh, Blue Thunder was released on May 13th, 1983. On an estimated budget of $22 million, it grossed $42.3 million domestically. It debuted number one at the box office, knocking Flashdance out of the top spot, which it held for a couple of weeks. It would only hold the number one spot for one week, but it would stay in the top 10 for the next five weeks. It would be the 16th highest grossing movie domestically of 1983. So moving on to reviews when growing up in the 80s, we would watch at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. They're here's their review and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of Blue Thunder was split. Gene found the movie to be a great summer film to gobble popcorn with while Roger was disappointed with the plot and had seen better aerial dogfights in other films. Right, fair enough. Yeah, so that brings us to additional thoughts and questions. Do we have any additional thoughts and questions about Blue Thunder? Here's an obvious question, Bill Bant. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned L.A. is, this is the, the home of the police chase, the car chase, and we always see the choppers up there with their spotlights and it just makes it really hard for these guys to get away. And do we need to tell a new story? Do we need to reboot this? I would like to see, yeah, I'd like to see another take on this story. 
I think it could be done. I think it'd be you could make it interesting, really getting into the lives of yeah, the air support policemen and women. Mm-hmm. Helicopters are cool. Yeah, it could be a spin on it, but if it was a a weaponized air support chopper, like uh, could be, I don't want to go dystopian future, but it could be in the future where these helicopters are armed or some kind of like coast guard movie. I mean, they kind of almost had that one with Kevin Costner and uh, Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. But maybe focus more on the the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I just think there's something there. I don't have any great ideas. Sorry, Mm -hmm. everybody out there, but uh, my only other question is Bill Benton. Have you ever flown in a helicopter? That's funny. That was my question too. Yeah. And my answer is no. Outside of on an amusement pier and the little helicopters that you could pull the stick back and fly around the circle. No, I've never been in a real helicopter. (laughs) Unless it was at a museum, but no, I've never ridden in one. That's right. I I need to put that on my to-do list. That's for sure. Absolutely. I would recommend it heavily. I've uh, had the pleasure of taking a few helicopter trips in Hawaii, of all places, around the islands of Kauai, Maui, and the big island of Hawaii. It's a unique, wonderful, beautiful, uh, slightly scary experience. I mean, it's, you know, at first, but you feel like you're floating. And it does feel like there's just this thin layer of plastic between you and the wide open sky. But you, yeah, you just feel like you're floating and the view is incredible. And you got your headphones on talking to the mic, talking to the pilot and talking to your, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, friends or family that is joining you. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, especially in Hawaii when you're just flying over that beautiful landscape. Uh, and you're seeing waterfalls and the lush foliage and uh, the ocean and the beaches, et cetera. I mean, yeah, recommend it. Those, they're not treat, uh, like cheap, those tours usually. But if you have the opportunity on a vacation to just uh, splurge and, and do it, I, I, you got to do it once. I would recommend it. Is it loud? No, the thing is, the headphones are pretty good with the noise cancellation. Okay. By no means is it deafening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can hear it, but it's not, no, it's, you're, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Anything else? That's all I had was the one question. I hadn't put my thinking cap on. So that's, uh, we'll just keep it simple. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely covered a lot so far. So let's uh, move on to recommendations. What's our recommendation for Blue Thunder? I would recommend it. I'm still a fan of this movie just from an action standpoint purely. And that's it. I think we've made it clear that it is lacking in plot. So agree with Roger Ebert on that point. But Roy Scheider, he can carry a movie. He's a unique guy. I mean, he's a handsome leading man, but doesn't maybe have that the classic look, but still just has a great presence. Um, and he commands. Yeah, just the, the helicopter stuff is fun. The action sequence of I, I find that the movie flows pretty good. I recommend checking it out. It's as, uh, like I would say, it's a, it's a good rental. <laughs> you know? it's right, fun. yeah. But yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. It's just the, watch it for the action sequences. The editing is great. There's some good stunt work mixed in there. Wonderful editing. And the it's exciting. And that's all I'll say. Okay. Yeah, I would say some great aerial stuff. The actors are really good in it. Yeah, there's some plot and story stuff that you don't definitely don't need because there's a whole thing where Murphy's having flashbacks to Vietnam 
I didn't need any of that. Um, yeah. I wish yeah. Developed his relationship with Kate a lot better. I felt like Kenny Clark was kind of wasted. Yeah, I would borderline recommend. I think that's a good way to phrase it. It's a borderline recommend. Like 51 to 52% of me wants to recommend it. Like you said earlier too, it's a quick watch. I was surprised because at first I was like, oh, this is almost two hours. And I was like, yeah. oh, oh, it's over. Okay. So that's a good sign. Because really the last 25 minutes is him flying around that helicopter. Right. But it goes by fast. Surprisingly fast. Yeah. But the photo- like you said, the aerial photography and editing. Yeah. It's great. So so Vessel was slightly recommended. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing the 1987 fantasy adventure, The Princess Bride, starring Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright, and Mandy Patinkin. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcasts at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook and Meta at All80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Catch you later. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. Confusement. 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 Confusement.